Hey everyone, Dr. Hanisha here. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, Mahan Health with Dr. Hanisha. Mahan literally translates to great in Sanskrit, and it just doesn't make sense to have anything but the absolute best when it comes to your health. My goal is by you listening or watching this podcast, you're getting just a little bit closer to achieving Mahan or great health yourself. This podcast is all for you, so please make sure to comment what you'd like to learn more about so I can get a guest on the show who's an expert in that field, or I might even talk about it myself. Today's episode, we're talking about something I'm extremely passionate about, mindfulness. We're seeing a huge surge of mental health issues, and thankfully, they're being more recognized now, but what are some ways we can really enhance our mental health? Well, one thing is for sure, you can't have proper mental health without proper physical health, and to obtain both optimal mental and physical health, it's crucial to become more mindful of the foods and information that we consume. The last few episodes of Mahan Health were about hormones, so if you haven't yet, make sure to check those out. I had the opportunity to interview some of the best in the field when it comes to hormones. For today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview one of my absolute favorite humans and an esteemed colleague, Dr. Ashley DeLuna. Dr. Ashley DeLuna is a licensed naturopathic doctor living in San Diego, California. She graduated from Bastyr University with additional training in craniosacral therapy, visceral manipulation, and functional neurology. Her practice focuses on mental health, developmental disorders, gut health, and women's medicine. She is a yoga instructor and an animal lover with a passion for mindfulness and sustainability. Her goal is to inspire self-knowledge and to help facilitate the health of her patients, her community, and the planet at large. She's also my hip-hop dancing partner, and I miss our dancing sessions so much, but hopefully when I head out west again, I'll get to absorb some more of her incredible knowledge and tear up the dance floor with her as well. I'm so excited for you all to listen to this episode because we get into everything from neuroanatomy to how being present and more mindful of our everyday decisions can lead to optimal or great health. Make sure to leave comments below on what you thought of this episode and reach out to Dr. DeLuna after the show. All right, enjoy. Hi, Dr. DeLuna. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so excited that you're here. And um, I already gave a little description of what you do. So let's get right into it. Uh, I ask all of my guests, this is the first question I ask all of my guests because I think stories are what really makes us who we are. And so tell me, what is your journey? How did you get involved in naturopathic medicine? I love that you start your podcast with this because we all have a different story that right. guided us here. And similar to a lot of naturopathic doctors, I've always wanted to be in medicine. I just felt really connected to it ever since I was little. I've always known that I wanted to be a doctor. So that, of course, kind of pulled me down the traditional route of the things that you need to do to become a doctor. And I ended up graduating high school a year early to shadow different types of medical specialties to kind of narrow the lens of where I wanted to focus. Um, and it was really interesting because what I found was not even close to what I expected. I shadowed everything from rheumatologists to anesthesiologists to people that worked on solely animals like vets, every possible person. It's ironic because I had the choice to work with a naturopathic doctor and thought that there was no way that I would possibly want to do that. So I didn't even give myself that opportunity. Wow. Shadowed all these different specialties. And after every single one, I left feeling 
kind of empty, not really fulfilled the, a few doctors just flat out told me you're not meant to be an MD or you're not meant to be an anesthesiologist. You're not meant to be a surgeon. They just flat out told me. So wow. that was weird. Do you know what their <laughs> reasoning for that was? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that maybe they could feel that I wasn't connected. Maybe they just didn't see that I was. I'm honestly not too sure, but I also kind of think that it was one of those universal signs just kind of pushing me away from something that I could have stepped towards and towards naturopathic medicine. So I left my hometown in New York. I moved to California and I kind of held on to this idea of medicine without really knowing where I fit in. And I joined the American Medical Student Association. And every week they'd have different doctors come and talk. And I was just hoping that I would kind of find something, feel something. And maybe the second month I was in it, we had our first naturopathic doctor talk. And within the first minute, I'm not even kidding, within the first minute that he talked about the naturopathic principles, I had one of those visceral reactions where I felt like my body get really hot. I felt my heart racing, but not in like a panic way, in a like, holy moly, this is it kind of a way. And I got chills and I actually started crying and I was like, what's happening? And then the rest is history. Here I am. It was just that soul connection to the medicine, I think. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, that's such an amazing story. (laughs) I feel like we've all had that, like, oh my God, this is it. (laughs) This is it moment. And, um, and we all did. Uh, okay, well, getting into it, uh, we are going to be talking about mindfulness today. So how would you define mindfulness? So mindfulness is a process of observing oneself. So everything, your thoughts, sensations in the body to patterns of action, everything. And then with that observation, not attaching to them, realizing that you are not those thoughts, you are not those sensations, you are not those habits. So a lot of thoughts and actions are subconscious and they become habitual. And then over time, we identify with them. And mindfulness is kind of breaking that attachment and having the awareness that we are the person observing it all. Oh, I really like that. Um, I like the concept of observing it all instead of putting yourself in this position, in this box of like, this is who I am. This is who I identify as. I like that a lot. Um, how do you think that mindfulness act- actually plays a factor in health in general? And, and that could be, I mean, I, I'm sure you'll elaborate, but um, that could be in terms of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all aspects of health, mm-hmm. because as we know, it's all connected. Uh, so how do you think mindfulness plays a factor in all these aspects of health? Mm-hmm. Great question. So I think it's hard to even separate what mindfulness doesn't trickle into just because when we stop identifying with these different things, we're able to come back into the body and come back into the present moment. And that's where all healing takes place. So just from kind of a technological standpoint, mind body medicine and this aspect of mindfulness is looking at how our mind and our thoughts influences our soma, our body. So Really, every time we have a thought, an emotion, um, that is a chemical messenger in the body that then creates all these different pathways to happen afterwards. So for instance, say that I was really stressed about a deadline at work. And because of that internal stress, that thought, my body then goes, oh no, there's a threat. We have to do something. 
my body starts releasing noradrenaline, epinephrine. This goes down to my blood flow and shunts it away from digestion, turns it off to the muscles so then I can run away. It increases my heart rate. It increases my blood pressure. It changes the way that I'm metabolizing glucose. So all from this one thought or this one perceived something that wasn't actually true, you have all these chemical reactions that then ultimately change your physiology. So then when we take a step back and say, okay, what's that doing to my health? That can show up like things um, as anxiety and depression. It could show up as things like hypertension, pain, excessive fatigue. It can show up as changes in your hormones because all these chemical messengers are hormones. You can have changes in reproduction and fertility. Um, it can lead to chronic inflammation. It could lead to difficulties concentrating. So things like ADD, ADHD, it can lead to brain decline. So things like dementia, so really what I'm trying to say is that mindfulness and our ability to step back from not identifying with these thoughts can then take us out of those vicious cycles. So then ultimately we become more in control of our own health. We are given that power back. Exactly. Um, I, I've talked about this before, but, um, but the, the power of our mind, the, the thoughts that we have, it's so crazy. Like you just said, you just have the thought that, oh no, I have this deadline. And all of these chemical reactions, biochemical reactions happen within our bodies. Just from having the thought, this hasn't even occurred yet. We just have this thought. And so that just shows how powerful that can be. And then on top of that, if we reverse that situation, so it's like, I have this positive thought of like, oh, okay, I get to do this one thing. And now we can have these beautiful, uh, more positive chemical reactions within our body, turning on our parasympathetic system instead of our sympathetic nervous system, which is pretty much what you described with all of the stress <laughs> in our lives. So absolutely love that description. Um, and could you actually go into a little bit more detail on, so we talked a little bit about the chemical messengers and how it affects our, our brain, but could you go into a little bit more detail on how it specifically can affect our brain health, what's going on with our neurotransmitters, what is actually happening in that process? Absolutely, I'm so happy you asked because yeah. I love neurology and brain and mindfulness and all things, so I'm gonna try to paint this picture for us. So before we get into kind of the details, I'm gonna paint a few big concepts for everyone that's listening. So we're gonna do a little brief kind of tour of the neuroanatomy of the brain and the nervous system. Let's do it. Let's get right into it. <laughs> so there are different theories as to how our nervous system evolved. And one is that we evolved kind of from the bottom up. So from the bottom of our brain are things that are really important for essential life matters like feeding, fighting, fleeing, reproducing. Those are our basic survival instincts. And a lot of them are just that. They're instincts. They're subconscious. That's um, kind of what we call our primal brain, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's things like the brainstem, which controls how we live, our heart rate, our breathing, all of that lives in our brainstem. We don't have to think about it. And it also includes this deep brain structure called the basal ganglia, which is kind of like an on-off switch. It's where a lot of compulsive thoughts and compulsive behaviors live. And also the cerebellum is a part of this more primitive brain, and it's just a part of coordinating movement and also coordinating thought. So a lot of these things, they are less evolved in the sense that they're not up to our most our most evolved qualities as humans and those aren't unique to us as human beings so with that 
we then evolve even more into what makes us human. Right. Yeah. I was going to, that was going to be my next question. So then what, (laughs) what is that? (laughs) How are we human? So the brain evolved from the bottom up into the front. The most evolved parts of our brain are going to sit right here. Mm-hmm. And because things are named sometimes easy, sometimes difficult in medicine, this is the frontal lobe. <laughs> so the frontal lobe is actually what makes us human because it's where all of our executive centers are. It's kind of the connection between emotion and cognition. Something else that I didn't bring up that is below this evolved human frontal lobe is the limbic system, which is where all our emotion lives. So I definitely didn't want to move any further without bringing that up. And the limbic system, of course, is everything that has to do with emotion and also storing memories of those emotions. And ultimately, of course, this is to keep us safe. When we were evolving as animals, when we were living outdoors, and if we were at a certain place that a predator frequently lived at, we would need to remember that place so that we don't go there X, Y, and Z, you know. So that is also below this evolved human brain. And where this frontal lobe lives is where mindfulness is. So that's kind of the big first concepts are just how the brain evolved and how we are fully human and how we have this ability of mindfulness with the frontal lobe. Right. And just to kind of add on to that, uh, for, for those of you who don't know much about the frontal lobe and what the frontal cortex does, uh, they've actually found for a lot of serial killers, they have really underdeveloped frontal cortexes because that, like um, Dr. DeLuna said, is where we make our executive decision making. That's where we inhibit certain um, well, that's where we have some of our inhibitory pathways. So we can stop ourselves from just reacting without thinking about it. And so what they found is a lot of serial killers actually mm-hmm. have really underdeveloped frontal cortexes. And so that, um, that explains a lot of the reasons why they don't think about it. Like it doesn't, oh, so many of them, it doesn't affect them in any way because they don't have that ability to even stop those reactions. So, um, yeah. So I guess they have more primal brains in that way. Absolutely. That's yeah. a really good point because mm-hmm. the frontal lobe, like you said, there are a lot of inhibitory pathways. So when we don't have that higher cognition, that higher awareness of all these things that we're feeling, we're run by those animalistic kind of parts of ourselves, right. those need to survive. And in some strange way, maybe those people that are hurting other people are doing it out of a primitive desire. Not sure. But yeah, the frontal sure. lobe is definitely a little low. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely underdeveloped <laughs> to say yes. that. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm moving around so much. The sun is really starting to get to me now. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you for that. That was really helpful. And um, if... Uh, yeah, I do want to mention for all of the listeners, so if you ever have any questions for Dr. DeLuna, we're going to have all of her information in the show notes, and we'll talk about it at the end, so feel free to ask her or myself any questions that you have. Um, leave them in the comments or what, or message us on Instagram or Facebook. We're all over. <laughs> so, um, so I think that was a really good description, but from there, let's move on. I want to talk about how mindfulness itself has um, been a part of your healing journey. I know we kind of already went over how you can't really heal without it, um, but how, how do you think it really played a factor in your, your own personal healing journey? Mm-hmm. So I actually found mindfulness when I moved from New York to California, and 
it was interesting how I kind of found it because it all showed up for me in my health journey. As we evolve, we learn different things. And from that knowledge, then we can shift our habits, right? So for me, I found mindfulness upon moving here and being extremely stressed with undergrad education. I was working three jobs, supporting myself, going to school full time, trying to be a human, all of these things. Just I was also running that race. Yes, running very much anyway. Just sprinting without really knowing why you were sprinting, where you were going. Exactly. And it's <laughs> ironic that you say that because I was also a runner then. And I loved running. And there you go. now looking back and learning more about my own physiology, I realized that is not the type of exercise that my body needs. But anyway, I was a runner and my friend was like, why don't you try yoga? So I went to yoga, thought it was a big joke. And then it was so hard. The movements weren't necessarily the hardest thing. Me. My ability to be focused and my ability to breathe was by far the most difficult thing. That is and, the most yeah. difficult thing in yoga, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Feeling each inhale, feeling each exhale, feeling the sensations in your body. So for me, that was the first time I had ever felt it. And that was what got me hooked. I remember leaving the first class and just being like, whoa, did I just take a nap? What just happened? What was that savasana? <laughs> that was good. Yeah, like I just want to do that all day. <laughs> yeah. So I really am so grateful that my friend asked me to go to that yoga class mm -hmm. because that was the first time I ever felt myself breathe. That was the first time I ever felt myself slow down and ground into the earth. And because of that, now it's my daily reminder, my daily practice to come back into myself. Yes, there's always a million things going on. There always will be, but my mindfulness practice has taught me in that chaos to stop, recenter. And because of that, I've been able to show up more for myself. I've been able to assess kind of what I need, what I don't need, what's serving me, what's not. And it's also helped me to show up more for my patients because I'm more centered and I'm not letting anything else that's going on in my world interfere with showing up in the present moment. I love that. Yeah, no, and I think that's so important. I think that's something very, unique to naturopathic doctors where where we've worked on ourselves in ways so that we're not putting our own uh, whatever our, our own baggage our own emotional issues onto our patients because we can create that like I guess in a way a boundary but then also be present for that person it's like let's work on being with that person and I think that is so important when working with patients, because that's, that's how patients, because we're their guides, right? This is what I always tell um, all my patients and clients. I'm just here to guide you. You're doing the healing. Mm. I'm, I'm just here to help put some of these pieces together so that you can understand how you can heal yourself. And, um, and as a practitioner, having that, that ability, that mindfulness practice is key, I think, to being a healthy and successful practitioner. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, the other thing, what you said about yoga, I really, I really like that too because I felt the same way. I was like, when she told, uh, you know, the teacher was like, "Okay, now you're in this pose, and now you make sure you're focusing on your breathing." I was like, "How am I supposed to breathe? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't breathe while I'm here, and like, I don't know what I'm doing." But I actually had kind of the opposite experience where I, I was angry after the first class because mm. I was like, how are you supposed to do all that? That's way too much. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I was like, I don't know if this is right. <laughs> and then I continued to do it because everyone kept saying how great it was for you. And then it took me like five or six times of going consistently. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. this is how I can breathe and focus. And um, yeah. yeah, I think yoga is one of the best ways to actually start practicing mindfulness. I think, I think you've made a really good point on that. Yoga has, has that ability because every little pose, every, every, I mean, every pose has a different position. Your hand needs to do this. Watch your fingers doing this. Your, your feet are in this direction. Your, make sure your pelvis is still aligned. And like every little thing is like being mindful of what is happening exactly within your body. And then that helps translate beyond that beautifully said yeah yeah I love it okay well did you have anything else that you'd like to add that I didn't necessarily ask about um whether it's in mindfulness or in the neuroscience or neurology aspect of it or whatever it is um before we get into the rapid fire questions Gotcha. Yes, there is something that I did want to share because I want to give power to your listeners that wherever you are in your journey is wherever you're supposed to be. And if you're listening to this right now, it's because the universe knows that you're ready to listen to it. And there's something in the brain that's called neuroplasticity. So wherever you are in your journey, your body and your physiology will support you where you are. So neuroplasticity is basically this idea that the brain and the nervous system wants to function as efficiently as possible. So the things that you do often, new pathways are created. It's kind of like widening the lanes of a highway so that you can take that route more quickly, more easier. So that's in a sense, a way for the brain to become more efficient. The things that you practice become easier. So that could be something positive, like actually feeling your breath in your body, actually feeling the earth beneath your feet, creating these habits of sitting down and meditating. Even if it's just for one minute every morning, you can either mold your brain in a way that that comes naturally. Or on the flip side of that, when we kind of perseverate, when we get caught in our mind, when we get caught in our story, the brain creates pathways to stimulate that as well. So we can choose the pathway that our nervous system goes. It can go into our old habits, or we can start to break away, start to cut those cords and create new habits. Your brain and your nervous system want you to thrive. You just sometimes have to remind yourself of how to do it. So this did not happen to me overnight that I feel like I could practice and sit down and meditate or do a yoga class or just be present in my body. it's, It's a daily practice. It's literally a daily practice. So the more that you do it, the more efficient it will become. And there have actually been a lot of studies that have shown that, um, the input to the brain ultimately changes the output. And this can show up in things uh, health-wise, where there have been studies that have showed that long-term meditation and mindfulness have actually shown to alter resting brain waves. So all this work that you're doing has long-term physiological changes as well. I absolutely love that. (laughs) I love the way you describe all of that. Uh, Actually, that brought up another question uh, that so many people tell me all the time whenever we talk about meditation. Um, They're like, oh, I cannot sit there and meditate. Um, I have too many thoughts, so I can't do it. Or I'm bad at yoga or something like that. And I'm trying to, I'm always trying to explain like, you can't be bad at yoga 
and you can't be bad at meditation. Can you explain why you can't be bad at them and yes, and how you already, you kind of already explained that it's a practice. It's a daily mm -hmm. practice, but can you go into that a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely have heard that many, many times as well. And I was that person. That's why I'm giggling about it because I never thought I could meditate and I never thought that I could do these things. But all of that lives in the frontal lobe. Our ability to block out everything that's going on around us and to come back into the present moment, to focus, to have that laser beam focus. And that laser beam focus comes with practice. <laughs> so, of course, the daily practice will stimulate that. But if you're someone that, in general, maybe you have ADD or ADHD, maybe you have difficulty concentrating, maybe you have emotions that are really difficult to regulate, um, and you have tantrums and things like this, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm going to say that again. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. All of these are just showing that a part of your brain that frontal lobe needs a little exercise. That's all. Just like a weak muscle, that weak part of your brain needs a little workout. And the best way to give that brain a little workout is to practice what's hard for you. So if meditation is hard for you, take a baby step. Start with 30 seconds. Set an alarm on your phone, sit down, and just feel your breath in your body for 30 seconds. Sometimes, even on the days where it's really hard for me, my meditation is, this is my inhale. This is my exhale. And I just follow it for as long as I can. So if you think that you're bad at it, know that you're just aware of a weakness that you have. And that's a really beautiful thing because we need to be aware of what we need to strengthen in order to make those changes. So if you find yourself in that space, start with 30 seconds. This is my inhale. This is my exhale. Or start with a gentle yoga class or start with at home yoga videos where you just start to get familiar with things. And then over time, your brain will have the capacity to strengthen those pathways. Yes. Exactly. I love it. Thank you. Uh, okay. So uh, let's get into some of the rapid fire questions. I ask all of my guests these questions. So I want to know, what does Mahan Health mean to you? I loved so much learning about this word and I, it really resonated with me just because our health is our greatest wealth. And as beings in this body, having this human experience, first of all, that's an incredible gift. Second of all, we only have one. We only have one of these bodies. And this means that we should treat our body like a temple because it truly is. And this is everything from the thoughts that we have, kind of going back to mindfulness, from the food that we eat, to the water that we drink, to our relationships, to our environment, everything. Because we only have one body, we only have one life, there's no reason to settle for anything less then that will give you the most abundant human experience. So for me, it's just, it's just acknowledging what you need to thrive and not looking away from it. Of course, a lot of it is, if you don't know, how can you change it? But if you know, there's no reason not to give yourself that gift of health. I love that. The gift of health. The, the best gift of all best uh, gift in the world. really is. All right. So what was the most difficult health change for you to make? I, I asked this question because a lot of people struggle with a lot of making these um, dietary changes, lifestyle changes, whatever. Um, and people think that they're doing it wrong. You know, they're, they're the only ones struggling, but all of us have had some difficulties going mm -hmm. through a health process and some that we're still working on. So what was the most difficult health change for you personally to make? 
Well, I will say there were quite a few struggles along the way. I'm definitely still a human, so I still have these struggles. Uh, but I think the most difficult thing for me to change was really stabilizing my blood sugar. I, for my entire life, I've kind of had reactive hypoglycemia, which just means that if I would eat something really sugary, kind of like a standard American diet, like white bread, my blood sugar would spike, it would crash, and then I would get extremely hangry, extremely irritable, my mood would be up and down. So for me, um, the diet was the biggest piece. It definitely took quite a few years to evolve into what it is now, where I feel like I'm eating a diet that not only nourishes my body, but gives me support uh, energetically that doesn't crash. So changing my diet, but then also acknowledging how caffeine played into my blood sugar. So kind of all of the lifestyle pieces that come to nourishing myself and making sure that my energy is stable. And that's not easy because <laughs> we live in a world where most people run on sugar. So kind of oh, yeah. finding that stable metabolic place isn't always the easiest. And especially when you live in a, in a community where maybe that's not prioritized. So then you feel like you're the odd one out or people are always like, Hey, why are you eating that way? Are you okay? And really you're just trying to be healthy. So I think that was the hardest thing, both mentally and physically finding that stable point. Great. Uh just a quick side note uh, for uh, those of you who don't follow her already, definitely follow her because she has some amazing, delicious foods and recipes um, that she has on there. And um, she, I know recently you were in Mexico as well and just at, for a retreat and all of the food looked absolutely amazing. So definitely go follow her for all of her adventures. I'm a foodie. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. So what is something that you are still working on changing? So when I, when I thought of this question, I immediately almost wanted to lie just because this is a podcast on mindfulness and part of my ego showed up saying like, oh no, I've got this down. But friends and listeners, I'm still working on this. I'm still working on mindfulness every day. And for me specifically, negative self-talk, we all have it. We don't have to pretend like we don't. It's a normal part of being human. And while I'm still working on it, of course, that negative voice sometimes comes up. But now through my practice of mindfulness and meditation, I'm able to catch it sooner. I'm able to catch, oh, Ashley, that's not real. That's not real. That's not real. Come back to the moment. Um, and now I'm able to laugh at it a little bit more, maybe call it silly. Sometimes you literally just have to laugh because you're like, where did that even come from? But... I'm still actively working on that. I really appreciate your vulnerability there because that that is, like you said, it it is a practice and so many of us deal with struggling with these changes. And so I really appreciate your vulnerability there. Thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Okay, and the last question is kind of fun. Um, I uh, always think about if I had all the money in the world, then I would be posting or like, putting all these advertisements and all these commercials to help people regain their health. And so what, if you could have a commercial, what would it be about and why? Hmm. If I could have a commercial, just one commercial, I yeah, think you just get one. I just get one. Okay. Well, I think that by far, one of the most powerful aspects that we have over our own health is what's at the end of our fork. So our food and our diet. So if I had a commercial, I would have two different pictures. 
I'd split the screen in half. On one half, I would have a conventional farm where you would just see monoculture, just one crop for miles. You would see pesticides being sprayed on it. You would see the poor workers that are exhausted and sad. You would see them pull the food out of the ground, put it in a machine, let it get packaged and processed. You'd see how many days it was. You would watch the vitality of the vegetable kind of wither away. And then you would see it in a grocery store for however many weeks and you would watch the color change. So that's on one side of the screen. The second side of the screen would be a small veggie box, literally a vegetable box that you could fit either in your window if you live in an apartment, on your roof if you have the ability, outside if you have a small front area, very small veggie box with layers. And on that veggie box, it would be all organic. You would see the owner coming out, well, the owner, the owner of the veggies, the keeper of the veggies come out and <laughs> water the vegetables, give them little kisses, give them all these good little vibrations. You would watch the vegetables grow. You would see how big they got, how strong they were. You would see them side by side to the conventional. And you would watch that vegetable without being washed, dirt still on it, go into the kitchen, be cut up and eaten. And it would just be side by side to show that both are available. One is medicine. One is just kind of poison disguised as food. And that the medicine is available to everyone, even if you have very small space, even if you only have two foot by two foot, you can start to grow your own food. And in doing that with all the nutrients and the vibrational energy and the love that you've just put into that, that piece of produce, you are nourishing your body. Uh, yes. That, my <laughs> that sounds like an amaz amazing commercial. I feel like I would just keep rewinding and watching it because it sounds so beautiful. <laughs> feel like powerless and people who are trying to make these dietary changes and switch to a holistic lifestyle a big thing that comes up is money or time or space and I want to show people that none of those really are a piece of it especially when we're talking about Mahan health yes I love it thanks for bringing it back all right so where can people find you uh, give us some, some of your information, and then, of course, I'll also post some in the show notes so everyone can find you, but where can people find you? Perfect. So right now, I'm living in sunny San Diego, California. I'll be opening a practice in the next few months, so keep an eye out, but in the meantime, you can follow my journey either on Instagram. My name is at Dr. Luna all one word. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. My name is Ashley Dayluna. And you can email me also, drdayluna at gmail.com. Yes, I love it. Mm. Uh, all right. So I will, like I said, I'll post all that information, all that information on the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Deluna. It's been amazing. And I, I feel like I've learned a lot. So I hope my listeners were able to learn a lot from you as well. And mm. I'm wishing all my viewers and listeners uh, great health and happiness, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, Dr. Hanisha. So happy to be here. Thanks. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. I will have Dr. DeLuna's information in the show notes, so make sure to check that out. I want to mention that mindfulness is at the center of all health, from mental health to physical health to our spiritual health as well. Without mindfulness practices, it becomes impossible to be able to achieve Mahan or great health. 
One of the things we talked about on this episode was meditation, but we didn't get to get into too much detail. I do have a full blog post on the benefits of meditation, so make sure to go check that out on my website and subscribe to my newsletters to stay up to date on any upcoming events, webinars, talks, podcasts, and whatever else is going on. All right, well, that's all I got for you all today. Wishing you all mahan or great health, and I will see you next time.